Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. We now join our senior associate pastor, Dr. John Light. Turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Luke, chapter 1. We're obviously not going along with our study in Judges, since Luke, chapter 1, at verse 39. You may not know it, but you just have sung a major portion of what we're about to read, which that hymn is a setting of Mary's Magnificat, as we'll see. I did not even know that was the hymn when I chose this text on Friday, when Dr. Walker called about being sick, in the account in Luke's gospel before this, the angel Gabriel has already come to Mary to tell her about this miraculous conception that is going to take place about the Messiah. And now that has occurred, and we pick up the account in verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. That baby would become John the Baptist. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, "'Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb.'" And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of God. May God speak to us through his word by the Spirit. Don't we all love the music of Christmas? It seems only fitting that the whole world should resound with praise to the Son of God who came in the flesh. And here in Luke chapter 1, we find a simple song without accompaniment, obviously, Mary's song of praise, often called Mary's Magnificat since that was the first word of the old Latin translation. The first word, magnificat, meaning my soul does magnify the Lord. In verse 46, 
hundreds of years ago when the theologians and pastors in the Church of England compiled the Book of Common Prayer, they gave this text such prominence that it was second only to the Lord's Prayer. Clearly, Mary is extolling God for His great mercy to her in choosing her to be the mother of the Messiah. And no doubt she composed this poetic prayer of adoration during her pregnancy before Jesus was born. She must have meditated much on the great power and mercy of God in in this entirely supernatural conception. She must have thought much about the many promises of God to his people about the long-expected Prince of Peace that had been promised for generation. And here she was, the mother that every mother in Israel would have prayed to be, the one who would bear the seed, the offspring of Abraham, the one who would crush the serpent's head back in Genesis 3 as it was promised. But even though Mary's role was unique as the bearer of the Messiah, we must remember that Mary was no different than any other believer. She was not without sin. She, like the rest of us, was in need of a Savior. In fact, later in his public ministry, Jesus, her her son, would say, Who are my mother and my brothers but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven? Speaking about the will of God that we trust in him and follow him. And even Mary would have been included in that that she needed to be a disciple of Jesus Christ as well. And so as we look at Mary's song, I want us to see that really the themes of this song are to be the themes of every Christian. In other words, Mary is a model for us of what it is to experience God's saving grace. And each of us might ask ourselves, are these the themes of my heart? Can I say that I am genuinely singing Mary's song in my life? Look with me at the two major themes of this song in the time that we have. First of all, in verses 50 to 53, Lord, I am poor and needy. Rescue me by your mercy. This theme of God raising up the humble and casting down and bringing down the proud The verses say in verse 51, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. What a beautiful description. That's so contrary to the mindset of the world It grates against our natural desire to be self-sufficient and strong. You know, the world tells us you can be anything, you can do anything, this can-do spirit. And to a degree, uh, self-sufficiency is good, but not especially when it comes to our relationship to God. Our natural tendency is that we don't want to be seen as poor and needy. And we certainly don't want to admit that we are in any way. But in the kingdom of Jesus Christ... He turns the values and the mindsets of this world upside down. What does the world typically respect? Isn't it things like power and wealth, fame and strength? We respect things like education, political power, 
success, intelligence, physical strength. And these things may be fine in their place. In fact, they may be good gifts from God. But look how Mary describes the way God works. He scatters the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Notice that emphasis on the mind, the thoughts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. I wouldn't be surprised if Mary didn't have in mind Pharaoh and what God did in setting the nation of Israel free. Or maybe Nebuchadnezzar, this great king who was humbled for a time and so he was made to be in the wilderness eating grass. He had so lost his powers of his mind. He ex- he, he, Mary goes on, he has exalted those of humble estate, the rich he has sent empty away. What does God value? What pleases him? Especially in terms of knowing him, he is pleased to draw near to the spiritually hungry and needy, the person who knows his or her helplessness when it comes to salvation and so cries out to the Lord to rescue him or her. It's like Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount when he begins, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's what God values. The attitude that says, Lord, I'm in a desperate condition because of my sin. We're like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 when he sees this vision of the holy God and his reaction is not, oh, this is great. No, he falls on his face and says, woe is me. I am undone for I am a man of unclean lips. This is the prophet who's suddenly has this deep awareness of his sin. Mary had a sense of this, not only spiritually before God, but also, we certainly understand, but from the standpoint of someone who was weak and needy in a worldly perspective. Mary, you see, you know, is part of, was part of a weak nation of Israel who was at this time under the, the heel of Roman dominance and felt very much oppressed and weak. And she was far from the corridors of power, we might say, of this world. But as a woman, Mary was also very much disenfranchised and insignificant in a male-dominated society. And so it's, it's not insignificant in that in God's sending of his son into this world, that work involved the central role of a young woman. It demonstrates God's upside-down ways of working in the world. And even beyond that, Mary was now, because of this miraculous conception, certainly somewhat suspect morally. She would have been seen by most of the people in her village as questionable in terms of her integrity, and the gossip must have been flying about what had happened in her life, who would have believed her story of being visited by an angel and told of this amazing conception unheard of in the history of Israel or the world, but we know prophesied by God. And so just about every way you think about it, Mary was far from being one seen as having any power in this world. She definitely would not have been a candidate for Time Magazine's Person of the Year this year. But all of this weakness on Mary's part represents something much deeper, this deeper poverty 
that each one of us shares before God the poverty of our sin in light of the perfect holiness of God. Here we are, created in the image of God, each one of us, but having that image marred by sin. And all that any of us deserve is the holy justice of God, what the Bible calls God's wrath. And that's where the gospel comes to bear. The good news is that the very reason Jesus came was to save his people from their sin. Good news of great joy. The angels sang about it at his birth. Wonder of wonders. We would say amazing grace. And Mary is singing about that gospel using typically Old Testament imagery to describe this. The gospel of Jesus coming as a man into this sin-cursed world to help those who have no power to save ourselves. How do you look at yourself before God? Do you have the mind of Mary? Or do, do you tend to think, well, Lord, I'm pretty good. I've done pretty well. I hope I'm a good person to some degree. I hope that counts something before you. I bring before you my record, yes, with some blemishes, but, you know, when you compare it to Hitler or someone, I'm, I'm really pretty good. But hopefully I meet the grade before you, Lord. Maybe a C minus, but hopefully I will get into heaven in some way. And you might think that, but not realize how completely blind and poor and needy all of us are before God. Can you come to God saying, Lord, I have not worshipped you as I should have. Lord, I have held dear many things that I have definitely loved more than you. All these might seem respectable in the world's eyes, but I see that they have been vain idols in my life. Even the things that you give as good gifts, I tend to make them as something more than they are, and I tend to put them in the place that should be reserved for you and you alone. I have not sought first the kingdom of God as Jesus commands. Oh, Lord, forgive me and have mercy on me through Jesus Christ. And often, God uses affliction in our lives. He uses weakness in our lives to make us aware of and more open to the spiritual weakness we all have, the spiritual poverty. I know as an 18-year-old for me, struggling with stuttering my whole life and just feeling so unable to speak. I don't doubt that when I look at myself and my high school friends, and I think, you know, we would have all been considered good kids and good students and so forth, but why would God choose to have mercy on me? I don't doubt that he used that stuttering to maybe give me a greater sense of my need before him, my spiritual need, which I didn't have hardly any awareness at all, even though I was in church every week. Is that a theme of your heart's song? Is that a truth that you can love to declare like Mary did? Can you say with, with John Newton, that slave trader turned preacher, in his famous hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That's not the language that our world usually uses, but that's biblical language 
saved a wretch. Not, you know, that we're worse than anyone else, but that we are needy before God spiritually. And can you genuinely mean it? You've probably sung that hymn in church if you've been here for many years, but do you mean it? Can you say with, with the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 6, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. What do we boast in? Paul saying, I don't want to boast in anything except the cross of Jesus Christ. And here was Paul, so accomplished in his life, and yet he knew that it was rubbish, it was trash, apart from Christ. Stop and think about it. What do you tend to trust in? Religious ceremonies, maybe, or charitable acts, or being a person that people can respect, being kind to others, maybe doing good works in the community, whatever else your trust might be in, other than the finished work of Jesus Christ, the Bible actually says that it is like filthy rags. Maybe not as others would look at it, but before God, It does not merit salvation. No one of us can merit salvation from God. And Christmas is about God sending his son in the world, into the world to live and to die for sinners who could never save themselves. And so no wonder it's such good news of great joy. But the second theme is this. Lord, since I have deserved nothing, but you have given me everything in Christ... Praise be to your name. Mary is magnifying the Lord. In verses 46 through 49, Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Verse 49, For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. She's just lifted up in this exalted spirit of praise. And she stands in awe of these great things, verse 49, that God has done. What are these? Well, certainly, the first thing that comes to our mind would be that Mary was given this great and unique privilege of bearing the Messiah, giving birth to the Christ. Can you imagine that? But the great things that God has done really go beyond Mary's unique place. And in that sense, these are more fundamental things. In fact, one clear characteristic of Mary's song is that she begins with herself, what the Lord has used her in this unique way. But as the song proceeds, there's a broadening of the song's scope that in a sense invites all of us in to praise God because of the great things he's done for anyone who knows him. And so in verse 50, she says, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation, that reverential awe and love and trust that comes. It's all one description of knowing Jesus Christ by faith. And it's from generation to generation as the good news is passed down. Mary is praising God about the full gift of salvation. What we would say is the comprehensive gift of God by which he gives us everything in himself through Jesus Christ. In salvation, we know God forgives us of our sins. We have peace with God, which means we have a right relationship to him. We're no longer enemies of God. We have eternal life, which consists in knowing and enjoying God forever. But we have this whole new heart of love to God and others 
and this new set of desires to grow in our knowledge of God and to walk with Him and please Him. And we long for that knowledge of God to deepen and grow and we look forward to glory when it won't be obscured anymore by our remaining sin. And Matthew, in his gospel, sums up the coming of Christ with the phrase, they will call Him Emmanuel, which means God with us. There's another way to describe this comprehensive gift of God, the great things He has done. Emmanuel, to to have God be with us. This is the salvation of God. I deserve nothing, only God's judgment, but God has given me everything in Christ, and so praise and glory to His name. That's the theme we see here. This extolling of God, this heart that rises in worship, day after day after day. Look how Mary states this in very personal, first-person language. Verse 47, my, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She could have said the Savior, but God, my Savior. In verse 43, Elizabeth speaks the same way. She says, and why is this granted to me, the mother of My Lord should come to me. Notice the personal pronouns. My Savior, my Lord. Do you know something of that theme in your heart? Can you drive down the road and see the creation of God and just say, my Lord and Savior, thank you for giving me this day to know you. And Lord, in spite of whatever afflictions and hardships I might face, you are my God. Mary would face some very hard things. Can you truly say with Mary, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior? It's not just my lips. It's my heart, my spirit. It's not just put on for show. It's there. Children, think of it this way. I'm guessing that most of you have a Christmas list in mind at this point. Sometimes there might be lots of things on that list. But often there's one or two that rise to the top, that one special gift that you know you really want and that that one gift would just make you happy above all the others, at least for a couple of days, right, until the novelty wears off. Well, then, for all of us, what do we tend to think of at moments and say to ourselves, if I only had this one thing in my life or if I could change my life in just this one way, then I would be really happy and content. What would that thing be for you? Maybe release from some kind of chronic health condition, maybe more money in your life to meet the bills, maybe some change in a basic flaw that you feel is part of who you are or your life or the way you look, or maybe it's a relationship that you've always wanted or the change in a relationship that's very hard or success in some area. The list goes on and on of what we tell ourselves we really need the most in life. But Mary's song is telling us that the great things of God, the great salvation of God, that is the ultimate gift that surpasses everything we might tell ourselves is the most important thing that we need. And God calls us to rejoice in Him and in His salvation and to receive Him in faith in Christ and to learn more and more in this earthly pilgrimage to be content and to be able to praise Him no matter what else is happening in our lives. And by the way, God's Word tells us that even if we got everything on our list, so to speak, 
We really would never be content if God himself were not first in our lives and in our hearts. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we singing Mary's kind of praise, no matter how good or bad the circumstances might be? And yes, there can be great and terrible pain and sorrow in this life. I'm not discounting that at all. And Mary will live to see her son cruelly crucified on the cross in the greatest injustice in human history. And I'm sure she's remembering this song that she composed 30-some years beforehand. Our God is still Lord and still our only sufficient hope and comfort. And Mary would have affirmed that truth. Maybe you've received an unforgettable gift sometime. I remember a new bicycle one Christmas when I was around 10, and it had snowed about eight inches the night before, but I loved that bicycle so much I took it out in the tracks of the cars that had gone down the street and tried to ride it in the snow. It meant so much to me. And now I'm sure that bicycle has been discarded long ago. Adoniram Judson, that famous missionary to Burma in the early 1800s, at one point decided to seek an audience with the emperor, the king, and he hoped that such a meeting would help relieve some of the fierce opposition to the gospel that the missionaries were experiencing at that time. And, and it, was a, it was a long and difficult journey, but he knew that he should do it to go see the king And he knew that he needed to take along a gift that would be worthy in the king's mind. So after much thought and discussion, Judson and the other missionaries came up with the idea of giving the king an English edition of the Bible in six volumes, but coating the volumes with gold. Sounds like a pretty nice gift, doesn't it? Wouldn't you like a six-volume Bible coated with gold? Um, Well, this is what they did. And after two months of dangerous travel up this river to where the king's palace was, and after some time in finally securing an audience with the king, Judson and his associates came before the king, and they presented their requests about the persecution, along with these wonderful gifts. But the king took no notice of the gifts. Why? Well, in part... The whole room was coated with gold. He didn't need gold books. Plus, he couldn't read English, so that didn't help any as well. But he never realized the riches of God's word contained beneath the gold. Have you received the greatest gift offered to you by this very humble means of seeing your poverty and receiving Jesus Christ? Mary's song of salvation, this humble song from a humble young woman, raises this searching question in each one of our lives. Is Jesus Christ and his mighty grace to me, is he my Savior? Is that the theme song of my life? Can we say with Mary, the mighty one has done great things for me? You see, the gospel brings us low in its declaration to us of the truth of our state in sin. But that same gospel also gives us the best news ever declared on earth. You may not be gifted to sing in the choir. You might not even be able to carry a tune. But if you have received the message of Jesus and his love, 
then you will always be singing Mary's song at Christmas and every day of the year. Amen. Father, thank you for the good news of great joy in Jesus Christ. And we pray that if anyone is here and hearing this for the first time or having eyes to see the wonder of the gospel for the first time, that you would help him or her truly trust you and give you his life and know that you and your promises are all sufficient to save us and to lift us up to the true knowledge of God and the promise of eternal life with you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.